Hello and welcome to The Real World, a podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialists. In this episode, I'm joined by Tessa Kelly, Director of Development at Habitat for Humanity, Great Britain. Habitat for Humanity is a non-profit organisation that helps people in our community and around the world to build or improve a place they can all call home. A partnership specialist with an in-depth understanding and experience of working with UK private sector partners to develop purpose and engagement-led transformational relationships, Tessa leads a team of fundraisers in building relationships with funders, supporters and partners to deliver income and impact. She has driven the fundraising strategy for the GB Empty Spaces to Homes project, securing support from the UK private sector for whom the transformation of empty and defunct spaces into decent and affordable homes for the most vulnerable has become an inspirational cause. As well as securing their fundraising commitment, she's mobilised their expertise, leadership and connections to develop the GB Empty Spaces to Homes coalition and to share their in-depth knowledge and experience to support the production of our Empty Spaces to Homes Toolkit. Hi Tessa, thank you for joining me. Hi Lizzie, it's a pleasure to be here, thanks for having us. No problem at all. Well, I think the purpose of today's podcast really is to find out about Habitat for Humanity and and what you're all about and your missions and aims, um, and I guess the space in which you operate and what you're trying to achieve. So my first question for you is, for those who perhaps haven't heard of Habitat for Humanity, uh, what is it um, and what is it you're trying to achieve as an organisation? Yeah, great. So Habitat for Humanity is actually a really well-known brand um, in the US, but in the UK, we've got a much smaller brand presence. So it's really great to be able to come onto podcasts like this and kind of explain a little bit more about who we are and what we do. So Habitat was established in 1976 to address the challenges of the global housing crisis, which I believe is, you know, a challenge which has gotten more serious than ever rather than, than less. We operate in over 60 countries and it's our mission to address housing poverty in the right cultural context. So we might find ourselves building houses from the ground up in Malawi. We might find ourselves fighting for women's rights to own their properties and their land after their husband dies uh, in Zambia. We might find ourselves working to do climate-proofed housing in, in Cambodia or in the Philippines. And we might find ourselves working around housing finance and housing microfinance in India. So really trying to address the challenges of housing people's rights to a decent and secure home all around the world. So it's very much our mission that everyone has the right to a secure and decent place to live. I think COVID has been a really clear moment where everyone's gone, stay at home, stay safe, stay secure. And actually the inequality and the lack of decent housing has come so hard and fast to the forefront um, and and made such a clear um, reason for this as a priority issue uh, and a foundational issue which supports all sorts of other challenges of poverty whether that be education gender environment it really is sort of a linchpin uh, issue of of poverty and, and and housing okay and in terms of um, you mentioned a couple of issues there and a couple of um couple of key moments i guess in recent history that have really brought the issue to life but what are the specific issues you're trying to solve in relation to sort of homelessness and the housing crisis? So really, it's about the lack of housing supply um, around the world. So Habitat, when we first were set up in the 70s, were very much about building homes. And we 
had this fantastic number of having built a million homes in a in a 40 year period. But if you look at the lack of housing across the world, we're looking at 1.6 billion people without access to decent housing. Building houses alone isn't going to get us to that position of housing provision. So over the last 10 to 15 years, we've also been about trying to pilot demonstrate and create a market for other housing interventions which means that housing is affordable and accessible for middle income groups or that governments and societies have better access to the tools and knowledge they need to improve the supply of housing so almost all of the countries we work in have this extraordinary housing deficit and actually that really brings us to what we're doing here in the UK. You know, the UK has a, a national housing deficit, which has been in existence for, for over 30 years now and, and is only growing and expanding. And there's quite a lot of hand-wringing about how do we address housing in the UK? Because, you know, we live in a, in a, in a, in a country where land is really expensive, property is really expensive, and lack of ownership is something that is a real challenge and a very generational challenge. Um, so it's really important that we find, explore and prove various different solutions that either governments or the market or private sector players can pick up and adopt to help address that housing crisis, both internationally and on our doorsteps. OK, thank you. And in terms of, I guess, the methodologies you're using, and we'll come on in a moment to discuss um, one of the, the big projects you're working on, the Empty Spaces to Homes project. But what kind of, aside from, I guess, building new homes um, and facilitating that, what kind of methods do you use to fight this and combat this problem? So one of the projects that I'm really proud of from a Habitat for Humanity perspective is our housing microfinance program, which we've run in lots of different sort of middle income countries. You'll have heard of microfinance in terms of people setting up entrepreneurial businesses. So there's lots of examples of people lending someone £300 to buy a sewing machine where they can start to then build their own business and get themselves settled and secured. One of the things that we found was that people's access or lack of access to credit or a mortgage was one of the biggest barriers and the biggest obstacles to them ever being able to secure their own home. And actually in countries where land is relatively cheap, if they already have family land, it's just the sort of one thing that stops them from getting further and building that property. So from about for about the last 15 years, we've been piloting and proving a programme where we lend small incremental loans to families and households so that they can build maybe the foundation when and they'll pay that back to us over a two-year window and then they'll build the walls on the roof of one room and then they'll move into that home as they pay that piece back and they'll be saving for the or funding the next piece of the of the pie as it were and as a result we've been able to really booster and bolster people's ability to do self-build which is very very common especially in the global south and we're actually running that program now in multiple countries and meeting the needs and the housing needs of many thousands of families and then to sort of build on that as we sort of started to, started to think about how that market solution to the habitat dna because what was really great about microfinance is that the institutions we worked with went oh hang on, this is a viable business for us. We can lend small pockets of money to these communities and they'll pay it back and their credit is 
viable, which is one of the things that people were worried about and, and anxious about and stopped them extending credit to communities previously. So we've sort of started to think about other market solutions. And one of the big pieces we've been working on is how do we invest in and nurture affordable and ideally environmental solutions to building so how do we find solutions to the cost of timber or the cost of cement and how damaging that is in terms of river sand that's extracted from rivers if we can invest in small businesses in local areas and local communities who are addressing those issues in a culturally appropriate way we can really allow the market to provide solutions for housing and then habitat can inform the wider narrative and the context and the sector and provide that expertise so it's really been a very interesting shift from building which we're still doing to prove the models to investing in and demonstrating scalable solutions that the market can then drive forward thank you that's excellent and i mentioned the the empty spaces to homes project which i understand is a kind of another way that you're looking to generate Um, housing for people but perhaps using space we've already got do you want to go into a bit of detail about that one yeah I'd be delighted to so I think this is something that we've really pursued from a European perspective so some of the solutions that I've just described to you really work in you know in Kenya or India or Uganda where um, the cost of doing business is somewhat less but wouldn't necessarily work microfinance is not going to work to build and incrementally build projects here in 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 the UK and especially around our towns and cities. So for Habitat in the UK, it was really important that we came up with creative and innovative ways to be part of that mission of addressing the housing crisis. Until about 2015, we were working quite closely with the empty homes agenda um, and had done some really successful work in that space. But as that kind of local put government funding sort of dried up we'd had these amazing and really strong relationships with local authorities which we felt that we could build on so we when we were asked by um one of the london local authorities london boroughs to take on a project which was a vacant space above a high street shop had no access except through the shop it was not insulated it wasn't wired it, it was very much a shell We thought, let's see if we can make this work with the Habitat model of renovation and transformation of property. And we were really thrilled with the result of that first project. We were able to create a new space for access with stairs on the side and a small courtyard and bring the property to life so that it had three bedrooms for young people leaving the care system and one for a live-in carer who could help them to transition into independence. The property was transformed to a really decent standard and it got us to thinking about how many of these types of empty unused buildings belonging to either local authorities or churches or community groups or socially minded landlords are there in this country and could we do more of this empty space transformation so with that in mind we uh, got into partnership with um, M&G PLC, who have um, been an incredible flagship funder of this project. And they helped us to commission a piece of research to understand the number of empty properties that exist, or empty spaces, non-residential spaces that exist across the UK. We did desk-based research with freedom of information um, requests, and we found that amongst local authority owners alone and we weren't able to go as far as you know 
Church of England, Church of Scotland, post office, ex-NHS, network rail, but just just local authority owned space alone. There were 7,500 empty buildings um, in the UK, which could be transformed into about 19,500 homes. Now, if we take that and look at the number of private empty buildings that existed, that's 165,000 private empty buildings. So we really think that the existing built environment offers quite a significant scope for transformation into housing. All of that research was done before the COVID pandemic. So the numbers that we were seeing of non-used vacant office buildings or above retail spaces or retail spaces themselves, we believe have gotten higher. You know, we've had a lot of UK high street has collapsed in that time. And people are increasingly looking at a different way of living and working from home. So offices are shrinking and people are starting to have hot desks and maybe move from two floors to one floor and then suddenly there's this vacant floor that's available. So we really believe that there's a real potential for us to find a scalable solution like the ones we were talking about in India, here in the UK, thinking about that empty building spaces. And actually we had a very similar project um, piloted and funded also by MNG concurrently in Poland. Um, by our colleagues Habitat for Humanity Poland and they their research had very similar results and has been cited and used as part of the framework and strategy for the UNHCR and Warsaw Municipal Council to address the challenge of Ukraine refugees coming into Poland so empty spaces is becoming a real watchword for how do we find ways to house and address this looming and existing housing crisis, which is really, really exciting for us. One of the big challenges we faced was as Habitat, we're a smallish organisation, we couldn't possibly take on 19,500 projects in the UK over a short window of time. So what we want to do next, which we're really, really excited about, is create a toolkit which allows other civil society organisations to adopt the model that we've, we've developed and designed in order for them to find local empty spaces in their local community and transform them for their needs. Um, got a really incredible example from a Scottish women's aid um, partner. So we've been working with them for a long time. And when we were talking to them during COVID, they had a list of, I think, 31 families awaiting a space and refuge, which, you know, that means that they're staying at home, living in coercive, controlling, abusive relationships. And there was a further sort of 42 families in refuge who weren't able to move on to move on housing because even though the council's homes team were very willing to get them in spaces, they didn't have any spaces available. And yet when we looked at our research, there was 19 empty buildings available in that local area, which had potential to be 40 homes. So there's a real issue of addressing a bottleneck and supporting communities to find ways to solve the problem of housing in their local built environment. That's excellent. Thank you very much. And I know the um, the, the coalition that you've formed um, is something that DJB has been really keen to be involved with. Um, and that links to the toolkit you just mentioned. I don't know if there's anything more you kind of want to say on that. 
Yeah, so we really knew that we had a lot of knowledge around construction, which is great, and and possibly around fundraising in terms of sort of traditional charitable fundraising. But what we needed support with to make sure that those types of organisations, so you know, Habitat are uniquely placed as an organisation who has architects and planners and builders on staff because of how we work and what we do, but you know, a women's refuge or a refugee council or a, a veterans aid organization aren't going to have that skill set in-house. So we wanted to create a coalition of experts who could help us to predict all of the obstacles that an organization like that might face in terms of the adoption of an empty building and transformation of it into a decent home. So we formed a coalition. Um, so we had fantastic expert lawyers like TJB. We had um, house builders and construction specialists, architects, um, local authorities, small charities, financial institutions, and real estate experts coming together to help us write this this toolkit. Um, so DJB, for example, have helped to lead us on the legal ownership and land module of the toolkit, which helps to take organisations through the major sort of steps that they will need to follow in order to make sure that they have secured all of the right planning and consents that they will need to take an empty building from vacant and belonging to somebody else to belonging to the charity or in partnership or leased to the charity meaningfully and being used in the right way. So planning guidance, guidance around licenses to occupy and leases and the, the relationships that would be need to be formalized in order to protect that organization and de-risk the, the challenge. Because obviously we really would like to see other organizations adopt this, but we know that it's you know, a financial risk and a, a relatively significant undertaking. So we really want to make it as smooth a transition and provide as much structured and helpful advice as we possibly can. Excellent. Thank you very much. And I think what you've really highlighted and what everything you've been saying is the need to kind of think outside the box and be creative. And I guess the future for Habitat for Humanity really is to continue to think of new ideas and new ways that you can address the issue. But as an organisation, what are your hopes for the future um, regarding homelessness and the housing crisis? What are you what what do you want to see? I think we are really you know there, there are organisations who specialise in education and healthcare who have relatively sort of straightforward interventions. So you know, vaccinations, once they've been developed, of course they're extremely complicated before development. Vaccinations once developed, it's about getting them into people's arms. Um, housing is often seen as a problem and a challenge and a crisis but people don't really want to take a bite into the challenge because it's so big so complex so tricky and therefore it's often sort of addressed around the edges of societal infrastructure and there's often a sort of reticence to really really get involved with that crisis but actually what we want to see is because housing has sort of risen to the forefront with covid with the kind of way we're living it's really zeitgeisty right now and, and the cost of living crisis that we're all facing is going to make it even more so. We want to keep it there because actually we know that it's a linchpin. It's foundationally important. So people who have decent and secure housing have significantly better educational outcomes, significantly better health outcomes, significantly better economic outcomes and are significantly less likely to 
commit crimes or reoffend or fall into chaotic lifestyles. And if we can keep housing at the forefront of the agenda and think about, as you said, innovative and interesting solutions. Habitat perceives ourselves to be a kind of a catalyst. We know that we can't deliver the projects. We're not a property developer. We're not a massive policy quango, but we are very much an organization who can trial and demonstrate innovative solutions to tackling housing and homelessness. And actually all of the sort of cross thematic issues that work in that space, we don't think we can do it alone. We really, really, excited about doing this in partnership with other organizations organizations like djb like mng but also other charities and civil society organizations because there's nothing more important than housing being owned by and belonging to the community where it's built and it really is important that they are consulted involved engaged from the very beginning so for us it's very much about more partnership more innovation but keeping housing at the top of people's agendas because it is a complex issue it's a challenge to ad address and but it's really really vital thank you very much i think it's really interesting um i think many people would see a housing issue as being an issue for for people in a residential sphere but like you say it can be something people in in the commercial world can deal with manufacturers um it really feeds through to loads of different industries and everybody has a, a part to play i guess in helping to solve the issue so that's really it's a powerful message thank you Absolutely. And I think the thing that also strikes me is that it's very tangible as a challenge, you know, from big government societal thinking around the housing challenge all the way down to, you know, me going to visit my granny and being like, OK, housing is so important. We can all recognise how much having a decent and safe and secure place to live gives us that stability, that certainty, that feeling of comfort that allows us to thrive in the rest of our lives. That's great. Thank you very much, Tessa. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Real World, the podcast by David Jones Bold. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode.